The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Well, let's continue the conversation here this morning. The Socioeconomic Rights Institute has been looking into the uh, court orders by the Johannesburg Central Magistrates Court. It's particularly uh, for eviction orders, and they're questioning the extent to which these eviction orders are compliant with the principles of the Constitution. Narishka Singh is the lead author of this report and joins us uh, this morning. Narishka, good morning to you. Thank you so much for having me. I think let's begin with the basics, Narishka. What does the constitutional Constitution rather uh, say about evictions? Um, that's a really good question. So the basis from where we get our constitutional right to adequate housing is from Section 26.3 of the Constitution. And the provision that's really important in Section 26.3 is the part that says no eviction or demolition of a home may take place without an order of court. Hello, Narishka. Hi, Narishka. Hi, can you hear me? Sorry, we lost you for a bit there, but yes, you're back on the line. Okay, uh, let, me, let me just maybe repeat that then. <laughs> um, so we're looking at Section 26.3 of the Constitution, which says that no person mm. can be evicted without an order of court. This is where we get the authority um, to say that court proceedings are an integral part of how, in, how evictions are handled. Do eviction applications differ when one is, let's say, wanting to evict people from residential properties, like perhaps what we see in the Johannesburg CBD with some of the hijacked buildings, or um, when one is, uh, you know, getting an eviction order for uh, people who have occupied land and, uh, you know, there's an informal settlement that has sprung up? So, um, the eviction proceedings are regulated by legislation that commonly referred to as PI. And in both the examples that you gave, you would use PI. The only ex- exceptional difference would become uh, when farmland or farm evictions are taking place and then there's a separate piece of legislation that specifically regulates those circumstances. But under the land evictions or buildings that have become occupied or rental housing or freestanding housing, high applies to all of these uh, situations. Mm. Let's talk then about the research that you have done and what exactly it is you were looking into. So the research stemmed from the Johannesburg Central Magistrates Court, but it's part of a series that will include high court data collection as well. And really what was being considered is whether or not the requirements of PI, which are various, but most importantly, the thing that we really wanted to look into were the personal circumstances of the people facing eviction and how in the court process these things were handled. We looked at things um, like whether or not parties, both parties had legal representation, whether or not they had papers filed on their behalf, what arguments were made, if any, you know, before the magistrate, and what all of those different things led to um, in the granting of the eviction order, what circumstances were the, was the order given under. Mm. Those, were, those were really our main, our main concerns with this research. And you specifically chose the inner city in Johannesburg as the area that you were going to look at. Any particular reason why? 
Yes. Well, I mean, the inner city has been a focus of Sari's work for a very long time, but it's, it's important in terms of access to the city, access to infrastructure, access to economic opportunities for people of all classes and, you know, backgrounds and circumstances has become more and more relevant politically, socially, economically. And as part of these developments, a lot of discussion about the importance of property in the inner city has also come to be. Mm -hmm. And so what a big part of this research was to take a step away from the rhetoric of the inner city and look at the facts. And what we found is that most of these evictions are rental evictions, um, not necessarily of occupied buildings, as one, as one may assume, mm-hmm. just because of the way the inner city is talked about, but people who at some point were able to pay rent and found themselves unable to do so along the way. Um, and these are facts that we can rely on to help dispel the myth of the inner city. And when it comes to the context that, again, you, 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 you were talking about in as far as what the court needs to, be cons- needs to be considering when applying its mind to these eviction orders, what did you find? So let me just start by giving some background to everyone who might be listening. Pai says that in situations where the people facing evictions are elderly a female-headed household, there's a household with minor children, um, or anyone that's disabled, specific care must be taken by the court to make sure that the rights of these people are protected. And so that forms part of the personal circumstances, even though that's not all, personal circumstances can extend beyond that. But what we really wanted to look at is whether or not these personal circumstances were placed before the court how did the court then engage with them? Mm-hmm. Were eviction orders granted perhaps at the end of a school term so that minor children uh, were not unnecessarily affected? Was the fact that a, a household may be rented homeless taken into account? And if they were, what was done about the situation? How did the court satisfy itself that you know everybody involved in this eviction application had their rights upheld in terms of the constitution. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting to me that just speaking about people's rights being upheld, in the majority of these cases where there is an application for uh, eviction orders, uh, it is only the applicant that is represented. Yes, that is true. And that is something that I think is one of the main findings um, of of this research. This research is very nuanced, and it speaks to the various levels of difficulty that people face in exercising their rights through the court. And one of the biggest obstacles to most people, especially vulnerable or low-income households, is the fact that they don't have access to adequate legal representation. Mm. Um, Most of the time, we can make the assumption that it's because it's unaffordable, and possibly places like who offer pro bono services are overcapacitated, and so not everyone can access this kind of assistance. Um, one of the biggest impacts we're hoping that this research can have is a, is a joint conversation between all parties involved in the litigation process, not necessarily just the court and pointing them out as, you know, um, the reason for these outcomes, but really identifying the fact that everybody, every party in the legal sector has a role to play in making sure that people's rights are upheld. And that includes increasing our capacity to take on pro bono cases or assist people who can't afford legal help.
when when we look at who it is that is driving the bulk of these uh, applications for evictions order for eviction orders rather what did you find so like i mentioned previously one of the key findings was that rental the non-payment of a monthly rental mm. was one of the biggest reasons these eviction applications were being brought to court um, so there was some kind of legal agreement in place at one point or another between the person facing the eviction and the property agent who then became the landlord. We also found that the applicants in the majority of the cases were property companies appointed as agents on behalf of a large building. And so just to frame the, this whole conversation in people's minds, you are thinking about big commercial companies who are leasing buildings to multiple households and families. And so they really do have the bargaining power um, to take measures to ensure that when eviction applications are instituted, it's done, it's done correctly. Mm. One of the most concerning findings that, of course, you've made is is, is here, and it's really under uh, the court's compliance with the law. And, and what you have found, and, 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 and I want to read this, is that the findings produced by the case files in the magistrate's court indicate a lack of application of the law by courts in eviction cases. And you're recommending that the judiciary focus on the manner in which the law is implemented in the magistrate's courts. Yes. So what you're really speaking to with this finding is the fact that the courts have a lot of discretion. They have a lot of power to refuse granting an eviction order if they do not feel that the applicants or the respondents or anyone in the matter has come to them with enough information to meet the standard that PI requires, which is, framed as just and equitable, so fair and, you know, um, considerate of all the rights and competing interests that both people will have. PI isn't necessarily there to make sure that no one can get evicted under any circumstances. All it's there to do is to give you procedures and things that we must all consider um, and really reinforce the humanness that comes with an eviction, the fact that a home will be lost to someone, and we need to make sure that the way this is done doesn't unnecessarily harm people just because they're unable to, say, make a monthly rental payment. Mm. But, of course, people will, would look to the courts and, of course, have faith in, in particularly members of the judiciary to be able to uphold their rights as as well. And and, and this is, is concerning because it suggests that that is not happening, at least not to the extent that it should. Yes, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think the the really important fact to remember is that our law has been developing consistently since we became a democracy. And before we became a democracy, property rights were completely absolute. And it's like during apartheid and in the lead, before Pi was enacted, a property owner had the freedom to do whatever they felt with their property legally, in, you know, entrenched. And so these laws and these implementations and the extent to which we push the boundaries of what we knew the law to be before needs to be constantly and proactively interrogated. And so we have decisions from the Constitutional Court, um, for example, who have come on board to say, you know, the roles of the court are different from what they used to be before. We have more power to refuse what we would 
perceive as traditional property rights because of our constitutional dispensation, because of the fact that we prioritize the right to dignity and we want to prevent homelessness. We have more power now as a court than we did before. Um, and so really, it, it's just an exercise, I think, of practitioners, of civilians, of people who advocate for rights for people living under precarious circumstances to constantly reinforce this interpretation, this new interpretation or this constitutional interpretation and making sure that at every court, at every level, mm. um, the law is being taken to its most constitutional you know, side as opposed to a conservative interpretation. Mm. Part of what this does, of course, is is pushes is also push and highlight the extent to which we need to be focusing on the the availability of accommodation in an area like you know the inner city, and we can talk about the inner city of Johannesburg, but really, uh, I think this conversation would apply to any other town that we have in the country because this is where people often have to come to in order to be closer to those economic opportunities. Exactly. And I think that's one of the most critical and just long-lasting findings of this research. It cannot, it can no longer be denied, you know, that, uh, um, that housing is not accessible in the inner city, especially for the people who need it. I think when people think of the inner city, they need to remember to include people who do the most basic and low-income earning uh, jobs and people who rely on peace jobs, informal incomes, um, taking things where they can where they can get them. And how much do we expect such a person to be making every month? And how much of that said income, you know, would they be able to spend on on accommodation or rent in a place that allows them to earn the income perpetually? And if we don't address that, we're just feeding the cycle of problems and instability in the inner city. It's something that can no longer be ignored. And I think this research really, really points to that. Mm. Narishka Singh, let me thank you so much for your time to, uh, this morning. Uh, she's the lead author of this report that has been done by uh, the Socioeconomic Rights Institute. Really, really a fascinating research on evictions and eviction orders uh, that are granted, particularly uh, out of the Johannesburg Central Magistrates Court and the extent to which they comply and uphold the constitutional principles around evictions. And so many times in cases like that, you know, people are, are, are really victimized because they feel that they have no rights and uh, there's also just the burden of the fact that you've not met the obligations that you have committed to. It's interesting to me that um, the majority of evictions that take place are with those who are paying rentals. I always thought that it would be uh, with perhaps some of these buildings that we see often where there will be raids and people are evicted out of those buildings. But again, it talks to the unstable nature of our economy that you have such an increase.